Welcome to the Host Podcast, episode one, where we will yeah, be... Oh, zero, zero, one. Oh, zero, zero, one. There you go. I am Doug Norrie. That is... James Davis. And we are going to be talking all about Westworld and the HBO series that just premiered last Sunday with episode one. We'll be running this podcast after each episode a few times a week discussing really all the themes and everything that we noticed from a show that basically just hit all the right notes for us after the first episode. James and I have collaborated on a bunch of different projects, We're currently business partners together in the sports world. I also contribute a weekly column for Cinema Blend, that have been a featured writer there for a while, and used to run a now well-defunct television blog called Channel Up <laughs> that you can, you can go find the deepest, darkest reaches of the internet. But we want to just kind of take a look at Westworld. We think there's enough content for sure that we can really just kind of break down the show on a number of different levels, almost novel style. But I wanted to get your, James, your opinion. You watched the first week. Well, okay, give me, outside of the we loved it <laughs> um, opinion, what kind of stood out to you from the show in terms of how it's different than most other TV fare at this point? Well, I think, you know, on some level, Westworld is, is a, has a lot of the classic sci-fi themes, right? Like there's the, are the robots going to take over theme sort of working in here. Uh, there's the, you know, kind of the meta creator, the people looking out over the, the world that they've created and deciding, have we gone too far? Sort of all of those themes right. going on. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of a, it's a sci-fi thriller in ways that we haven't seen succeed i don't think in a mainstream television way in, in in recent memory at least to me i mean maybe lost is a good example there um but you know hbo's obviously invested a huge budget in this show and i mean the production value was through the roof i thought in the first week of the show um so I, i'm very interested to see where it goes but i think it's it's combining that sci-fi theme with i think some new modern takes that you know maybe haven't been explored as deeply and hopefully we can get into those but um yeah I, i'm just excited as a as a fan of sci-fi in general and also um, just good literature, good film and, and TV. So. Well, sci-fi shows in general have – and it's, uh, it's so funny because I don't think I would have even classified it as a sci-fi show to start though now that – it's just not where I'm, I kind of thought to at start to say that this is a sci-fi show. But sci-fi in general has issues on television for the main reasons that Westworld accomplishes in the first one, which is production value. Now, they're able to accomplish the production value piece because – when you think sci-fi, you think um, you know spaceships and you know new worlds and sure. new world building, and that that alone is very difficult to do. But when you can create a new world, one sort of inside a box, which is the office that they all, the, um, and we can talk about that in a second, like where the actual you know employees work, and then mm -hmm. the other world being just standard tropes of the old west which is something that's been done, been there, done that in terms of just, you know, world building in that case. You get over... Yeah, so on some level, it sounds like Mad Libs, right? TV Mad Libs. It's right. like sci-fi and the Old West. <laughs> <laughs> right, you clear those two huge hurdles right away because you don't need... And, I, and they might get into the world outside of what I'm going to just call, like, the main staging area. What should we call that place? Headquarters? What should we call the place where they work? Um, just so that yeah, we're using... Yeah, a, yeah. Headquarters, the lab. Okay, the lab headquarters. Well, yeah. we've already now we already have two names. So okay, so when they're at headquarters, I'm not sure how much we'll see the world beyond that. Like 
and we might, or, you know, what kind of modern world that they're living in. But get there as, eventually. I mean, they've nodded to like the uh, the higher ups, the business partners, the shareholders, and all that other stuff. So sure. uh, I'm pretty sure that that reveal is coming at some point. I mean, this is again kind of a formula they've used on television many times in the past, which is you start in when you're like lost, for instance, you're on the island, and then it's like Jack wakes up, and now he's at his job as a doctor. You're like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> like they're definitely going to do that at some point. Um, Bernard getting out of bed and kissing his wife before heading in or whatever. But I do think that the outside world will play a major role in the future of the show. And I pro- it probably goes without saying, but a major spoiler alert from here going out. If you haven't seen the first episode mm-hmm. of Westworld, Westworld, then just hit pause and head over to HBO if you have a subscription there. Hopefully you do. And check out the first episode and then come back because really everything beyond this point will be things that are just going to give stuff away about episode one. So, um, Spoiler alert, you've been warned. Episode one focused mainly on okay, establishing the world of Westworld mm-hmm. and how the basically patrons to the, uh, we'll call it an amusement park-like setting, the are guests. Guests, yeah. Yeah, the guests are transferred into Westworld where they experience the just kind of the day-to-day life and all of its highs and <laughs> definite lows of living in the Wild West. We are given two main characters essentially within that world – that would be Dolores, played by Evan Rachel Wood, and then Teddy, James Marsden, uh, who's played by James Marsden. They are both hosts, and their world, you know, we learn that their reality is basically just a function of their role in the game or the, you know, in the park it's in Westworld itself, mm-hmm. which is to just cater to the guests that are coming. That, that's the world that we see um, within Westworld, and then the other part is sort of what's happening at headquarters. Focus there around Bernard, played by Jeffrey Wright. Definitely, Jeffrey Wright's definitely like a, hey, that guy again, uh, character for me. And also by the creator, who's Anthony Hopkins' character, and who's sort of, you know, been many, many decades in the creation and the, and the intricacies of basically everything that makes Westworld run. So that's where, that's, you know, that's the, the bird's eye view of the first episode. What stood out to you mostly? You know, we, the reason we wanted to start this podcast is because you and I spend so much time just talking about this stuff off off air, just in our yeah, other in our other ventures. You know, we'll get on a business call about something else and then spend the first thirty minutes of it talking about a show like Game of Thrones. We would do this all the time for. So, um, <laughs> and since we have all the fancy podcasting equipment anyway, we figured why not talk about it so other people can enjoy as well. But what made it? What you know, we used to let's start something here. What was like the major sort of theme or question that you thought? would lend itself to long-form discussion about a television show, which is which cannot be that easy. Like, it cannot be, you know, in, especially in a recorded format, to, to just kind of just talk about one television show for the entire time. But what yeah, really sure. stood out so to you? I'll, I'll harken back to my days as an English major um, when I would do some film critiques from time to time. And, and I, I think that the really – the thing that is going to give Westworld staying power will be its ability to offer uh, – a poignant societal critique. And I think that it hits on that on a number of levels. I think there's kind of the obvious um, scientific level that I referenced earlier, which is the simply the, you know, are the machines going to get too powerful for us or, you know, how, how human like should we make machines? I think that's getting more relevant as artificial intelligence becomes stronger as, you know, people try to replicate the human experience with virtual reality and so on. Um, But I think there's actually perhaps a more interesting critique going on here, which is this gamification of interactions. And so, you know, this is something people have been concerned about for a long time, right? Um, people were concerned, for instance, when D&D came out, Dungeons and Dragons, that people 
you know, essentially reenacting horrific acts, murder, uh, or fighting the bad guys or saving the princesses would get them sort of detached from reality. And I think that uh, the man in black, Ed Harris's character, mm-hmm. um, I think he's offering a really, I think, and they're, they kind of alluded to this by, you know, giving him a few very mysterious and, you know, very front and center scenes where, you know, what happens when we detach people from reality to the point where we're letting them reenact things that in normal society, no one does, right? Um, they, they reference this early in the show when the guy's on the train and he says, yeah, the first time I went with the family and then the next time I went two weeks straight evil. It was mm-hmm. the best time of my life, you know? Um, I think that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's going to offer up, if they're able to do that successfully, I think it's going to finally, I think it'll be the first time in pop culture that people have really tapped into this question. Like, So Grand Theft Auto was a big deal, right, when this came out, where people could go, and I know the thing that bothered people the most was not just the running people over and sniping people from towers, but like you could like kill a prostitute and take the money back that you just got from her, you know, like really awful stuff in Grand Theft Auto. And, um, and I think Westworld takes it to the next level, which is like, you know, if we do get virtual reality, if we do get uh, the robots that can live among us, but they're not actually human to what degree does that degrade our own humanity? And I think that that, uh, I think that's going to give us a lot of fodder to talk about you know, as long as the show continues to remain relevant. Yeah, that random guest that on the train that mentions that, that was that was probably, that line did the most to establish probably the whole show really than any other thing that happens in the show, right? Because, you know, you get it, you get it sort of played out in increments and, and it kind of comes along slowly as you see how characters sort of interact, as the guests interact in the world. But that guy mentioning that he did that, it basically just put it all on the table and said, look, this is, this is the point. Like this is the point of both probably the show and just why people want to go there is to just be hedonistic. And that mm-hmm. part where you can actually live it out and you can just just put everything on the table that guy some that guy pretty much summed it up sort of just the whole entire show just in that piece now i have a question about the virtual reality part and then i want to get yeah. to i want to get to the um just the human versus the machine piece mm-hmm. how do you see the show like it's clearly not all virtual reality or and it's not like how do you think th- their life is established how, is it that they are playing it out on a large set? Is it like sort of a hybrid virtual reality piece where, you know, there's not full on, you're, you know, not full on matrix, you're plugged in. Like, how do you think, how do you think that the, the guests are like transported into the world and how do you think that they're able to maintain the, just the realistic piece of that? Yeah, the immersive nature. So we'll all compare it to, so I talked about Grand Theft Audio, Auto earlier. Um, but I think this is more, I mean, this is very clearly a live action role play environment, right? So a live action role play is something that I've done. And this is a podcast environment where I don't have to be ashamed to admit it, hopefully. <laughs> um, but uh, live action role play, of course, is when, you know, a group of people, nerds uh, like me, go someplace and dress up in costumes and live out an alternative reality. And one of the things you have in live action role play are NPCs or non-player characters. Now, the tricky thing about live action role play, of course, is that your NPC is just some dude who's shown up for the weekend, you know, some college kid who, you know, maybe he's going to screw up the plot, maybe he's not. But of course, Westworld is the live action role player's dream, right? Where all of the NPCs, uh, all of these hosts, as they call them, have programs written on them. And they are, you know, highly adaptable. They're able to, you know, have slight variations that, you know, they nod to the coders, nod to the fact that they're allowed to go off script a little bit. And they're very interesting because, you know, we see, you know, the big question will be to what degree are they able to go off script and, you know, maintain the world, but not totally run amok like some of the, some of the hosts started doing in the first episode. So, um, 
I do think that the world is, yeah, their vision for the world is creating these things that are just lifelike enough to simulate reality, but also to provide action, you know, entertain the guests, uh, let them be hedonistic or heroes or whatever their fantasy is, um, while also, just like in a LARP, letting the good guys win, letting them just get their way. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the world they've created is, is this vast, highly sophisticated live action role play. You know, it'll be interesting to see the scope of which as we get a broader view of just the, the headquarters and just the kind of grounds that they're running on. I know this is not thematic, but just seeing what sort of space that they're dealing with, like almost like a Hunger Games aspect to it, where it's mm-hmm. like we have this controlled environment and we are able to play with it as much as possible but it could be i mean is it the size of a state <laughs> like a u.s state well, they, i mean they talk about 1400 hosts um so 1400 hosts is the size of you know a, a small-ish town like the town i used to live in at camp was 500 people um do you guys don't know that town cleveland new york <laughs> but three times the size of that is you know where you know pretty much everyone in town like a high school you know um yeah, so I think that's kind of the scale. Um, although they, you know, they talk about going out past the river and off into the wilderness, and so maybe geographically it's a little bit bigger than your average small town. But I think that's the level level of interaction they're going for. It's funny with in other virtual reality, maybe even AI themed pieces, we're typically worried about the major theme is oh, when eventually when robots take over, we're all fucked. I don't know if that's going to be the the concern here. <laughs> I don't know if the ultimately were worried. Of, I mean, obviously they nod to it in in, in pieces where the the robot's going to go off script, or they're not behaving correctly, or they're not doing the things that they've been programmed to do. I don't get the sense from at least these robots that we're worried about them turning into, let's say, Terminators <laughs> or whatever. Um, I no, don't I think, don't. Maybe not Terminators, but I think like them taking on humanity and really, uh, you know. Figuring because they do have some advantages, right? Like, um, for instance, I doubt that they actually feel pain. <laughs> like they have. I mean, this is, I guess, a, a good. You know, my wife and I were talking about. You know, what actually happens when they get shot? Is it like laser tag, where just you know something, like a, a, a signal is sent to their robot costume, and then an explosion takes place and fake blood pops out? Like, I'm not exactly sure how the mechanics right. of that work, but but I, I do think that we might be headed in a direction of them. Um, at least taking over the theme park or killing the people who code it or something. Um, so I, I'm not sure. Yeah, but, but yeah, you're right. I don't think anyone's going to become a Terminator. One thing that I'm, I've put on my notes to just do in the next week before episode two is just watch the original Westworld. This is based on a movie yeah, that came out in the late 70s. Have you seen the, the movie? No. I watched the trailer for it yesterday. It was funny about the trailer. If you, I'll put it in the show notes, the link to it on YouTube. But it's funny when you watch the trailer because, one, the world that they establish is a Westworld, though it's, big, it's part of a bigger uh, theme park that also includes a Roman environment and I forget the other environment that they had. But um, in that one, it is where the it's just a kind of full-on – and even from that trailer, it's full-on – we have a character that's got, we have a host that's gone off script and he's just straight up taking out the guests, <laughs> like sort of picking them off one right. by one. Um, which is funny because I hadn't, because the man in black is, is a guest, mm-hmm. right? He is not a host. So that we're presumably correct. I mean, we, we yes, are, we're under the, yeah. Okay. So the man in black is, I would say at this point, the antagonist, presumably though, there's going to probably be some, possible questions about whether or not he is is he the antagonist is he the protagonist well that's like, a good question right because he's certainly mistreating 
a host to a great degree, but if the hosts don't have humanity, is he doing this as a, you know, he, he mentions he's been going there for 30 years. Right. Is he, and he also, I mean, he's obviously really creepy and kind of foreboding, but he talks about some other game, right? Like he wants to get to, you know, there's some higher level of the game that he wants to achieve. And is that like getting to the founders somehow? Is that freeing the hosts? Like we have no idea what his motives are right now, but certainly the fact that he wears all black and kills and rapes people makes leads you to believe he's probably a bad guy. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the, which begs the question is, are people that continue to go to Westworld, are they bad people or not? Like if you're a person that right. continues to, if you can, so does it make you a bad person to continually want to go to a place where you know you can just live out you can live out certain fantasies in a safe or quote unquote safe environment, right? If you're able to do that and you confine it to the game, are the people that show up with that intention, like that guy on the train that says, oh, I'm just going straight evil, is he like a bad guy? Is he a good guy for confining it? I mean, let's presume that he only does these things in Westworld, right? That he's not yeah. pillaging and raping or whatever he deems as evil. I, I suspect it might even get worse than that <laughs> as we get down the line. Like, are these guys bad guys? Are they good guys? Like, what do you sort of see as the person that continues to go into the world and live out these fantasies? Like, do you, right, uh, right. how do you well, see I think, them? I think that's the interesting shades of gray argument, right? It's like, and you know, I think a lot of shows more so now than in the past are trying to go down the shades of gray area, like with Game of Thrones, you know, it's like, is Jamie Lannister a good guy or a bad guy? Hmm. You know, right. <laughs> he's done a lot of really bad stuff and he's done some good stuff, right? Um, I think that the, the people that go to Westworld, you know, I think that the show is trying toying with this dynamic of how far can you go when you're just playing a game and still maintain your own humanity like again i don't think it makes you a bad guy in real life if you like to troll people when you play call of duty and shoot these fake representations on a digital screen um but you know if that was in real life and those were robots who could simulate feeling pain and you liked that like (laughs) does that make you a bad guy or does it maybe just make you someone kind of creepy or someone i don't want to hang out with like i think that'll be a like the show is going to offer some commentary on that point at some point. And I think they seem to be leaning towards kind of makes you a bad guy if you get off on that kind of thing. Right. Cause well, you, when you, you know, you talked about LARPing before yeah. and you know, you would go out into the woods and fight people right. with, with, you know, fake weapons. Um, but the sure. implication being there that you were killing them and you know, yeah. or giving, dealing damage to them. Now you are not a bad guy that I know of that we've known each other for a long time, but you were fine sort of going in and simulating this thing where you were killing this other person and you were dealing, sure. dealing damage to them. Now you would not take that into your regular job and just go hit, you know, someone at a board meeting with a foam sword and just like tell them well, to, I could be, cause my regular job is working with you. So I well, can, I was talking I about your sure. old job. I was talking about your old job. And it, by the way, yeah, right. You could, you could hit me. I mean, our friendship, <laughs> our friendship would probably be over, but, um, so, right. So, it really does blur the line because if you go into the game knowing that you you know that they're fake, you know that they're not real, you know that you're not actually doing any real damage, they just happen to look more lifelike than anything we've ever been able to experience before. I just that really is clouded for me about whether or not these people are bad just because they go to choose to play out some, you know, I don't know, some deviant behavior. Yeah, yeah, deviant I mean, behavior out in, in in within the safe confines of the of the world. Well, a LARP, a LARP is, I think, is a decent comp for this because most people, when they show up and do a live-action role-play, um, there tends to be an emergent order, right? Because there's consequences to dying, just like in real life. So um, when you show up and you spend a bunch of money on your like equipment and you've developed this character and then you hurt other people, then other people find out and hurt you back. You know, <laughs> so right. there's, there's good consequences for it. Many people experiment with kind of being a, a so-called bad guy. But um, in many cases, if you can't find community in doing that, the, the payoffs aren't as grand because like in LARP, you can't 
you know, actually rape anyone, right? Like <laughs> no one actually suffers if you torture the fake NPC. And so I think that it's not it's not quite the same. And I think that's, again, the interesting piece, because I will say, though, that <clears throat> by and large, most people just choose to play good guys because, mm -hmm. again, it's not that rewarding to be bad versus in Westworld. It seems like most people seem to prefer or the people that have gone there more frequently seem to prefer the, the more hedonistic or bad aspects. And that could very well be because there aren't any consequences in Westworld to being bad. It doesn't seem like the sheriff ever catches any of the bad guys and puts them in jail. And maybe on that level, maybe that's what the guests kind of want there. And that's, you know, I wonder if they've had discussions like that when they're planning out the world. Like, hmm, should we ever catch these bad guys? Like, should this be more realistic? Would there be more stakes if they got busted? Um, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, that makes it's me, definitely an interesting interplay going forward. That makes me wonder about what the program, like how much the programmers really understand about what's happening in the world. So for instance, so yeah, the, I was wondering that too. the question there, what's really, okay, the reason I asked the question is one, has there been sort of a company line that says, look, we're not going to monitor what the people that in the world do, the, the guests mm. in the world do. Yeah, privacy disclosure, sure. Well, well, right, because if that was the case, then there's just no simple – unless he had been able to hack the system, how is the man in black operating with such impunity within the world? Like, Because if they – he obviously is in there. He's obviously a guest. He's been transported in. He's he's left and come back because he said, "I've been coming here." You know, like he hasn't mm -hmm. he hasn't said, "I've been here." So this is some language that gives us clues about you know, sort of like what he's been doing. But he's also just gone totally rogue within the world without, at least from the first episode, anyone really even knowing. And so I wonder what the programmers, if they if they do, they know what's going on within the world. Or even do they care? Like, or just said, I said, no, it's anything goes. So we're just not even going to monitor what these guys do. Yeah, I wonder, right? Because, you know, another thing is our business, you know, relies heavily on technology. And from a technological perspective, it seems like it would be more than trivial to record every single interaction that a host has. Um, and it seems like they do have that monitoring and they have that kind of that hologram holographic uh station where they view things that are going on right mm -hmm. um so I, I believe that they probably can although i also know from like if you run a vpn or a virtual um private network is that what that stands for anyway the thing that masks internet traffic online um if you run one of those like any good vpn company will say hey we're not gonna track anything you do do whatever you want we won't tell <laughs> so right. i would imagine that westworld in order to stay in business and treat these you know long-term customers well like i bet they're aware of what goes on but i would assume they don't record or, or keep records um or if they do that those are really under lock and key but um but I, I suspect that they don't mind people coming in and acting like the man in black i think that's kind of what they expect and they're they're cool with them right but they they have taken it to the point where they're not willing to it's clear they're not doing each individual interaction because he's been pretty clear about his motives that he wants to screw things up. And so right. if they were if they were tracking those things, even as from a keyword piece of point of view, they probably would want to put an end to him visiting because it's clear that he has motives beyond just, you know, being badass or having Yeah, that's a good time. point. I, it does seem like they don't have any algorithms, like at least, or they haven't accounted for anyone trying to really hack the game like you know when he scalps that guy and there's like what is that it's like programming or like a map or something on the other end of that guy's scalp it's or circuitry i couldn't really tell exactly what that was but um yeah it's clear that he wants to do more than just get his rocks off at this point like that's that's been enough for him and now he's ready to do something 
more sinister or, or good we don't really know <laughs> but right and i actually um, wonder because he takes that character i can't remember he was the car dealer character from the saloon that he ends up kind of walking yeah. out to the woods and scalping and, and taking a look and it's clear that he's targeted that character as important because this guy i think he makes it makes a note of you know he says this guy knows something that maybe others don't so he's mm-hmm. been able to take a look at sort of how the world operates and maybe pinpoint that guy as having more knowledge or just more of a idea of sort of how that the man in black can get to his end game. So I'll be interesting. I don't know what that was that, that little, it was almost like a crop. It was like a, a, a crop formation sort of, that's the, what the, the uh, pattern made me think of at least. I'm not sure if it's circuitry yeah. or not. I, I, I would, I would suspect it's probably some kind of circuitry or, or like, you know, their imprint or their encoding somehow. And I think actually this touches on another major theme of the show, which is kind of like how memories interact with, the people, you know, the characters and, and the hosts in particular. So it's like, you know, it seems in general, like the, the memory is supposed to be wiped from day, even from day to day in many cases for a character like Dolores or from, I don't know, session to session in the case of characters with more ongoing storylines. But obviously like uh, Doris's dad, Dolores's dad, Abernathy, he starts to have memories and that starts to cause conflicts for him. And then we learn, of course, that it's these reveries that um, the founder has imprinted on the, you know, the updated hosts, right? The 200 hosts that are kind of causing some problems. And the reveries are basically little actions that come about as a result of some memory from the past, right? Like the prostitute rubs her lip and it's like, oh, it's the little things that make us human, right? Like Mm -hmm. the little memories, the little, you know, the knowing look that you give someone that you've seen before. Um, And I think that that will be, again, another major theme we see going forward, which is like, you know, what is, what makes us human? If it's not our flesh, if it's not our ability to talk and improvise, is it our memories? Is it the experiences we've had in the past and how they inform our, you know, behaviors and decisions going forward? And um, I think that will be quite a big deal. They they mentioned the reveries as being, they're accessing like the subconscious. So the, the, this is the piece that you have just like this sort of hidden behind the scenes aspect. And I think that as more and more characters access that, well, one, it'll be interesting because we'll get backstory because it's, it's funny. It shows sort of to, especially insular shows like this, they need typically need both a running storyline. In this case, it's like man in black, but also backstory sort of where the characters have come from and that being able to access these previous iterations of the game will be something that we see. Like for instance, like, where did that picture that Abernathy found come from? Now, maybe it's yeah, not... Presumably maybe, a guest dropped it or something. Right. It's not important necessarily where that specific picture came from, but to see other things that have been acted out in the world over these years, and as you get... Because you're going to need to understand sort of like where Dolores is coming from. I think they mentioned that she's the oldest ho- host in yeah, the park. Yeah. Um, and I think that we end up seeing those past versions of her as being the backstory, which again, like you typically need that for a show Mm. where you're you're building a a totally new world. Like, you know, you mentioned Lost. Lost did that pretty, uh, pretty brilliantly, all things considered. Mm -hmm. But really you see it in just about any long running show. You just, you have to understand the past to understand where they are now. And I think that's how they do. It's almost like they'll go back and say, you know, I think you'll see that Dolores wasn't always this I, you know, she wasn't always going to be a girl that woke up on her father's farm and went and painted all day. Like there's a good chance that she was just a prostitute in the past or that she oh, played, sure. that yeah. she played other roles within it. So it'll be interesting. It's just a really, really cool, uh, vehicle to use in terms of just being able to look back at past versions of the world. Well, yeah, it's like past lives, right? And then like we saw this with Abernathy too, where he was that character called the professor, right? Where he's going off and quoting Shakespeare and like really violent themes and the, they're kind of 
puzzled by that because they're like, huh, he's just accessing a part of his past characters. Like we thought that was overwritten by now, you know? Um, and of course the way computers work in many cases is even when you delete something, it kind of sits there, you know, like when you delete a file on your computer, for instance, I, I think they're nodding to this. Um, it, it, it's not actually deleted. It doesn't go anywhere. It sits on your computer until that is actually overwritten by new information. And so if these hosts work the same way that normal computers work, that information is still lying dormant somewhere. And if these reveries are tapping into the subconscious, well, it makes sense that even these hosts, as they become more human-like, would be able to tap into these other memories. And in this case, anyway, it's obviously causing a lot of unforeseen glitches and you know, some pretty big problems. Like if people are going <laughs> to enact, you know, be way more violent than they're hoping for or question the nature of their own reality, like, you know, the, the guy's asking Dolores. Um, and, and that will be, uh, I think that will be a lot of where the season one tension comes from. Right. And it's funny that we already have sort of the clue as to why the, okay, you, the clue as to when these things are happening, these glitches is clearly like the fly in the face, mm -hmm. right? The, yeah. the fly lands, in, if, the, if the fly lands in your face and you don't notice it, you're all screwed up. And if you notice it, she slaps, Dolores slaps the fly at the end, which is, I guess, meant to s signal everything's back online with her, at least for now. And so it's so funny that we already, in within just the first hour, have at least the first clue as to when things when you can expect something weird coming from one of the from one of the hosts well yeah the fly i think is a really powerful piece of imagery actually and so i took this actually maybe in a slightly different way than you did uh which is so you know there's obviously the saying like oh she wouldn't hurt a fly um and we also know the that one of the rules is you know this is kind of a classic uh isomov's um, or Asimov rather, Asimov's three rules of robotics. And one of those is you just can't hurt anybody. Um, <laughs> and so in this one, uh, the robots obviously can't hurt the people. I mean, and they have physical limitations. Like when uh, James Mars Teddy there goes to try to kill the man in black, the bullets just bounce off of him and he's indestructible. Um, and that's probably because, again, there aren't any bullets. It's right. just sending sub-signal. Um, and we've seen these flies come on and land on the face. And when the robot guys, the hosts, aren't able to hurt the flies, then they're kind of malfunctioning. It's like, you know, this little annoyance and they just don't know how to deal with it. And I think that in the case of Dolores killing the fly and being doing it in like a really calm and collected way, I took that actually as a foreboding sign that she's, you know, kind of stepping past that, that rule that she's not allowed to hurt anything. Cause that's even one of the questions they specifically ask her is like, and would you ever hurt anyone? No, never, you know? Um, and then she just goes and like, has that, you know, it almost reminded me of like the, the Daenerys in season one of, Game of Thrones, where she all of a sudden her face turns from like this scared little girl to like, oh, I've got this together now. Um, so I wonder if that's more of a of her her coming online to more of a, a humanity sort so of. So you look thing. at like you you kind of um, look at it like kid kid you know frying ants with a magnifying glass as like the harbinger of <laughs> going to eventually just like go out and go on a, you know. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I I think it's I but I do think it's a sign. I do think that they're programmed not to hurt anything, right? Like they can hurt. Um, like the only thing they ever heard in the show is those horses, which again are just robots anyway. Um, and the her hurting like an actual living thing. I think is a sign. I think that's more foreboding than, than anything else. Yeah. So. I didn't really take it that way. And I'm not sure I totally still do take it that way, but um, well, that's the fun thing about this, Doug, because we are not like those famous people who get to watch like six episodes before everyone else. We've only watched the one episode and <laughs> we'll get to find out. So that's my bold prediction. I guess then we I hope you enjoyed it. This is new for us. We're going to come each week after the episode, maybe a couple times a week as we kind of talk off air and have more themes develop or just more ideas where we can take it. We are the hosts podcast. You can yeah. check it out at thehostpodcast.com or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We will be back next week after episode two, buddy. Talk to you offline. Yeah, can't wait. 
Thank you. 